0: You know, I'm just going to say this publicly so you keep me accountable. In have been the pastor here eight years. For eight years, we've had this stand that is loose. <laughs> every Sunday, I remember it. And every Monday, I forget to get a, a screwdriver or whatever it takes to tighten it up. So anyway, by next Sunday, that'll be tight. All right? <laughs> hey, put that back up. Go back uh, to that 40 slide there David would you? Okay. Look at that first first line there. It says, "I waited patiently for the Lord." I waited. So this the psalmist here waits and he's crying out to God and he's asking him, "How long? How long, thanks?" How long do I have to keep crying out? One of the misconceptions about God is that he does not delight in answering prayer. Is that he actually kind of enjoys waiting for long periods of time. He doesn't look forward to answering your prayers. In the midst of your struggle, whatever that may be, and I've been there too, in the midst of that struggle, when you cry out to God, you expect an answer Now. It's like when my kids yell for me. It's now, Dad. Now. Not in five minutes. Now. I waited patiently for the Lord. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your struggle, God can feel like he is a million miles away. Or he's busy with something else. Or worse yet, that he's right there and he's not doing anything. At those times, you are tempted to think that there's something wrong with God. One of two things. Either that he is not powerful enough to do what you're asking him to do. He'd really like to do it, but he's not powerful enough. Or, and this one's even worse, is that he really is powerful enough, but he's just not going to do it. He's, he's not really all good. There's like a sadistic streak in God that wants to leave you right in the midst of your pain. And when, when I'm in pain, that's, that's what I feel. I feel those two things. You know, you have your theology, and I work hard at my understanding of the Bible well so I got a proper understanding of God, but in those times of struggle, whoa, does the rotten views of God that even that I grew up as a kid come back. You know, God's just waiting. He just can't wait to be up there in the heavens and wait for me to do something wrong, and boom, go like that. Now, I would never write that on a statement of faith, I would never say that's what I believe, but when I'm going through that, I'll believe that. As a matter of fact, it was so bad that when I was in junior high and high school, when I would do something against God, I would wait for something bad to happen. And then I would tell God, that's it, that's your shot, no more. We're even now. That's horrible theology. But you know, sometimes that comes back to me, even now. Oh, that's it, God, you got your shot. I did something against you, you did something against me, we're even Yeah, right, me doing something against an almighty God, an almighty God letting Steve live in a fallen world where rotten things happen, and he's yet in control of all things, and these things happen to me. Like, this is somehow even now, and that makes sense in my economy. But you know what I'm talking about. I'm seeing nods. At those times, if you're at all into Scripture memory, you have to grab those truths And yank and pull and do anything you can to get those rotten ideas about God away. I just want to give you four quick passages about God delighting in answering your prayers. Isaiah 41, 17 through 18. The first two I'm going to read are from the prophets, Isaiah and Jeremiah. And these are prophecies that are given in the midst of punishing Israel. This is when Israel was wayward, these two passages were given. The first one, Isaiah 41, 17 through 18. The poor and needy search for water, but there is none. Their tongues are parched with thirst, but I, the Lord, will answer them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will make rivers flow on barren heights and springs within the valleys. I will turn the desert into pools of water and the parched ground into springs. Jeremiah 33, 3. Again, in the midst of punishment, this verse is given, call to me. God is telling them, call to me, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Now, the context of that verse is God refining Israel. He's saying, call to me, even in the midst of that, and I will answer you. Psalm 62, 5 through 8, probably one of my favorite verses on prayer it says, find rest, O oh my soul, in God alone. David's writing this, and he's screaming at his own soul, find rest, O oh my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress, I shall not be shaken. My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust at him at all times, O oh people. And here it is. Pour out your hearts to him. Why? For God is our refuge. You can pour out your guts. You can let it all hang out. Why? Because he's a refuge. He's a rock. He's worth it. And the last thing Jesus said, John 16, 24, says, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Speaking to his disciples, they'd never asked in his name before. Till now you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Now, the joy he's talking about there is not necessarily what we think of joy. You know, we think, <laughs> oh, boy. That's not the joy. The joy is Hebrews 12 joy. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Remember that? We just read that a little bit ago. He, that's the kind of joy he's talking about, real joy that fills you from the inside. Does it mean you're going to get all the goodies? Does it mean that God's going to take you out of a rock, rotten circumstance until he's done with you? Not necessarily. In fact, what we're going to look at today in our ongoing study of the book of Acts, is a prayer, oh man, this is a dangerous prayer that's being offered. And it changes everything. changes the rest of the book. I think those prayers are still being answered. This prayer that was offered in Acts 4 is still being offered today. It's a dangerous prayer. You know the prayer I'm I'm talking about? I stand right here every communion Sunday and I pray for I don't know, 20 some out of you, or I, I don't know how many exactly, but and you come up and some people say, I want the Lord to break me of my pride. And I say, do you really want me to pray that for you? Because in my experience, God really likes answering those kind of prayers. <laughs> that's a dangerous prayer. Do you want me to pray that for you? Or and some of you say, I just want to know God better. Really? Then you'll look at the circumstances that are coming and you'll say, that's my answer. Woohoo, I lost my job. My girlfriend left me and my my dog bit me. (laughs) Answered prayer right down here. I want to know you, God. Strip away everything else. I want God to strip away everything else. Really? Really? Those are dangerous prayers. I call them look out prayers. Because when you pray them, look out. Because God is faithful to do that. And he loves, he loves to answer those kind of prayers. But sometimes they don't come the way you think. What are you doing, God? I asked you, I asked to get to know you better. And all these hard things are happening in my life. Uh Uh-huh. That's right. Remember when I was in college, uh, I had a buddy. His name was John, and, and uh, in the course of about six months, his, his girlfriend left him and actually was dating another guy, and in another six months they were going to be engaged. That He'd been dating her for about seven years, all the way through high school and the whole thing. Um, and uh, his best friend had died of cancer, and he found out his father had cancer. And I I remember I remember my thought as I was talking with this guy, God wasn't just an academic idea to this guy. He was hanging on to God for all he was worth. What he thought his world was gonna be was completely changed, and he was hanging on for all he was worth. And I remember thinking, (laughs) I remember thinking and praying to God, God, why are you blessing this guy so much? I mean, you're just, he has a relationship with you that I wish I had. I kid you not. Now, this may sound like a little deal to you, but I kid you not. And four days later, four days later, I was just combing my hair, and I realized, wow, there's a lot of hair here. I was 20 years old, and if you'd have seen me in high school or in college, I just had this mop of hair, and I thought by now I would have nothing. In fact, I just kept sticking it back on. That's what's left. <clears throat> I started losing my hair. I was 20 years old, and I went from being very thick, full, fine, blonde hair to less. And I remember the first thing I said was, oh, wow. Not that God. (laughs) The girlfriend thing, you know, that's okay. (laughs) But the hair thing, ooh, and it was instant God saying, let's just do the economy here. Do you worship me or do you worship your hair? I know that sounds silly, it's even, so, even now that I'm almost 40, it, 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 it seems silly, but I don't even care anymore, you know, it um, doesn't matter, but then it did, it really did, and I remember that being a lookout, dangerous prayer, and God used that, God used that, that prayer in my life. This morning we're going to look at this prayer that was offered by the, by the um, we're not sure who exactly did pray this prayer, it was some of the, the acquaintances of Peter and John as they come back. Uh, from their excursion that they were on. Before we do that, I just want to recap. Really, I want to open your Bibles to Acts 3, in fact, and we'll kind of get you caught up. Acts 3, and this is really a four-scene kind of deal. It's like one account, but there's four scenes to this deal. The first scene, if you remember, Acts chapter 3, starting in, in the beginning of the chapter, is where Peter and John were on their way to the temple, 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it's the time of prayer, and they were just coming up, uh, just you know, kind of minding their own business, and this person who'd been crippled from birth begs, Peter and John say, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Walk. And the guy stands up, and he starts bouncing around. He's just going bonsai, woo-hoo, I can walk. It's a great way to gather a crowd. There's a crowd all of a sudden. Here's this guy who for years and years and years has been begging, and all of a sudden he's bouncing around, and this crowd gathers. Peter does, if you remember when we talked about this, Peter has a second act of obedience at this point. And And first he heals this guy, prompting of the Holy Spirit. And then this crowd gathers and Peter uses it as an opportunity to tell them about Jesus. If you remember what he said in Acts 3... And he's, he's talking to them about what happened here, that, the, that Christ did this in Acts 3.14. It's not on the screen, but just follow along in your Bible. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see, whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you can all see. Now brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. So Peter uses this opportunity to tell people about Christ. We found out then the next week that people actually did respond to that, but in different ways. The group that was standing there listening to him responded by saying, whoa, I don't know what you got on your list of sins this morning, and I'm sure some of you come here with a heavy heart. Uh, I I don't know exactly which, but I bet you not many of you have the thing, you killed the author of life on on your list. Figuratively, we did, but we were not there. We were not the ones yelling, crucify him. Perhaps some of these even partook in the trials. That was on their sin list, and they took them up. and They said, whoa, you mean I can just turn to God and be forgiven of that? Turn to Christ? I'll take it. There was another group, though, that didn't like it, and that was the religious rulers. Remember them? Turn over to Acts 4, then. Acts 4 is where the religious rulers start to respond to this, and they don't like the fact that they're losing some of the control of the people. The people responding, they didn't like it. So they seized Peter and John out of the temple. They grabbed them there. Remember we said uh, they didn't have a healing license? Or why did they grab them? They just grabbed them because they were causing an uproar. They brought them in before them. They came before and had a trial before the Sanhedrin, 71 rulers. And they asked them a question. The question was, by what power or what name did you do this? And they wanted them to say, Jesus. Remember we looked at Deuteronomy 13? Deuteronomy 13 says that if a prophet or someone comes in and does a miracle but they don't claim that it was done from God and they ask you to follow someone else, that you should stone them, you should kill them. These guys are looking to kill Peter and John. And Peter and John, in the face of incredible adversity say this. Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a cripple and are asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel. It is D-Day. It is certain death coming here if they say Jesus. And Peter says it. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I think it's great how he says the whole thing. Just in case you missed it. Jesus Christ, that's J-E-S-U-S, I can't spell, like last week I couldn't, but J-E-S-U-S, Christ of Nazareth, just so you make sure we got the right one here, whom you crucified, so there's another way he's going to get himself in trouble, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands healed before you, he is the stone you builders rejected and has become the capstone, so he insults them and calls them the, the people that were rejecting, The Messiah. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Peter, unless the Holy Spirit gave him understanding, must have thought that was the last word he was ever going to utter. That was going to be it. But God is not done with Peter and John. The Sanhedrin are shocked because of their courage, because they know they're in big trouble. They saw that they were ordinary, unschooled men, but that they, they had courage and they are full of the Holy Spirit, so they don't know what to do with them. So they call them in and they command them, don't teach any more about Jesus. And Peter and John, <laughs> on a death wish, say, well, you judge for yourself whether it's right to obey you rather than God, for we cannot help seeing, testifying about what we've seen and heard. And they let them go. Now, that's all all just staging for what's going to happen now. Peter and John are just going to be released from prison. Or not from prison, excuse me, from this trial where it looked like certain death. Okay, let's look at the passage for today. Starting in verse 23. We just kind of want to go through this and watch how it unfolds. First thing, Acts 4, verse 23. On their release... Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Now, they just went through this near-death experience, whereas the first place they go, they go back to their friends. It's it's a little hard to understand exactly what this phrase, own people, means. It probably didn't mean all 5,000 people. It might have been those who were in the upper room at Pentecost. We're not exactly sure, but somehow these people were tight with Peter and John. So they go to the people that they were tight with and they report all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. Don't command anymore, all these things. There's going to be threats, your your movements. I don't know what the threats were, but there's certainly going to be uh, problems if you continue to teach about Christ, all these different things. They report all. Now, you're sitting there, you're their buddies. How do you respond? How do you respond to that? I mean, our, my first response would be, oh, that's terrible. They can't do that. They can't do that. We'll have to go talk to the authorities. Or, boy, you guys really have been through a hard day. You should take the rest of the day off. Or why don't we, you know, have, you don't have enough balance in your life, Peter and John. What you need to do is, you know, we should all take a little, you know, corporate break here. Group hug time, or maybe we should go out and play mini golf, or it was something to get our minds off it. No way. That's not what they do. Look what they do. They pray a prayer that is going to set the course for the rest of the book of Acts. Acts 4.24. When they, the they is these people, when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. They say this. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. I love that. I love that. They start with the absolute sovereignty of God. They start this prayer. They don't start by saying, oh, God, I thought you were going to, you know, what's the deal, Jesus? You said we were going to be witnesses of yours. And now we have to stand before all these people. I don't know if God really likes whining prayers, but that's not where they start. They start by saying, God, you are the one. You are sovereign and you created Everything You created the heavens, you created the sea, you created the earth, everything in them. This prayer starts by focusing on the absolute sovereignty of God and who God is. I want to just challenge you with something. When you're in trouble, start by addressing God as who he is. And you will be amazed at how the lost job or lost girlfriend or whatever doesn't go away. But when you look at the magnitude of God and who he is and just, in, just says a word and worlds are that weren't before, all of a sudden these things start to take focus and you don't worship him anymore. They're just issues you've got to deal with. They start there. The first two words, sovereign Lord, you're in complete control. Then he goes on to say, you have made the heavens and the earth and everything in them. I can't tell you how many times in my own life where I have said those sim- that simple phrase, God, with a word you spoke and worlds were that weren't before. With a, with a word you could do something in this, in this situation. I can't tell you how much comfort that gives me that that's the kind of God we serve. Then they go on. They're talking about God, they're talking to God. And they say, verse 25, you spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant David. So they believe he's the one uh, who is the uh, one who speaks through scripture. And here's what they quote. They quote Psalm 2, it says, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Hey, if you got your Bible with you, flip to Psalm 2 real quick. I don't have this on the screen and kind of decide to do this last. You got it. You got it. They quote Psalm 2. Psalm 2 is amazing. Let me just read. uh, I'll I'll continue on. The, The first two verses are what I just read. They quote. Let me just read the rest of it. Let us break their chains, they say. This is verse 3 of Psalm 2. And throw off their fetters. The one enthroned in heaven laughs at all these nations and everything that are trying to come against him. He laughs and scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to him, "He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Hey, what's more? Psalm 2, Psalm 2, second Psalm, one of the greatest... Uh, prophecies about Christ in the whole book. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and you will be destroyed in your way, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. And they quote this psalm in this prayer. And they say what's happening here is the what's happening in the psalm is these these rulers are all conspiring together to come against the Lord and his anointed one, the Messiah, Christ. And these guys quote this because they say we're living in Psalm 2 right now. Right now we're living where this is happening. Look at the next verse, verse 27. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together. Now stop right there. Herod and Pontius Pilate didn't really like each other very much. And Luke, when he wrote the book of Acts, says, look it, it's happening. These kings, you know, kings normally don't like each other a whole bunch. These kings are conspiring against God, against Christ. When indeed, when... Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and even the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. It's a fulfillment of Psalm 2. Now, listen to what their view of God is. That's their view of what's happening. Listen to their view of God. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. They were suckers. Who killed Jesus on the cross? God. God Almighty was the one. Jesus laid on his life all on his own. But God is the one who set it up. These ones were just pawns. Pontius Pilate, Herod, the Jews and the Gentiles were all pawns in the process. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now remember who's praying this. These are people who You know, ran away from Christ at his moment of need in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now they're saying, no, this is the way it's gonna happen. God is in complete control of all things, even the worst thing that has ever happened, which is the death of Jesus. God is in complete control of that. Now, with all that as a backdrop, here's who you are, God. You are the author of everything we see, you are sovereign over all things. In fact, Rotten things that happened, including the death of Jesus, was all in your power, and you decided beforehand it was going to happen. With all that as a backdrop of who God is, they finally get to their request. Now, listen to this request. This is a dangerous request. This is a lookout request. Think they asked for protection? They don't ask for protection. Verse 29. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. They ask for three things. First things consider their threats. Consider their threats. Don't protect us from them, but consider them. They're the ones who are going to rage against you, as Psalm 2 talks about. You talk about overcoming that. That's what we want you to do. Look at the second request. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. That's what they pray for. Remember remember just a few verses ago? They commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. And they threatened them. So they're asking here that they would have great boldness to break the new law. That's what they're, they're praying here. Now, don't use this universally, you know, that speed limit should be 95. No. But when it comes to a point where judging between God and human law, of course, it's, it's God's law. And here they're praying that they would have boldness to speak, to continue to speak, and to continue to break these religious rulers' rule. Don't speak anymore. Now, if that weren't enough, If that weren't enough, that they just prayed, consider the threats and enable us to to be bold and to proclaim your word in a very dangerous place, look at what they asked for the last thing. The last thing they asked for is, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's the whole reason that I brought you through the whole narrative here of what was happening, the whole story. How did this whole thing start? The miracle of this crippled guy. What are they asking for? Give us more. Give us more blind people to heal, and people who are dead we can raise from the dead, or, or uh, people who are from Wisconsin that they think smart, and all those kinds of things. Sorry, Archer. Uh, give us miracles that will cause crowds to come around, and so that we can. Proclaim your word. That's what they're asking for. They are asking for a death wish here. But they don't care. At this point, they are bonsai. They say, we are going for it with Christ. We are going to be his ambassadors. Huge guts. This is a gutsy prayer. It started with God and who he was, and it went on to say, God, here's what we want to do for you. Now enable us to do it. How does God respond? Verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was Shaken. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 19, it's a sign that God had visited. When, when God had visited Moses, the, the ground would shake. Would shake. So the ground was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. They were outlaws for Jesus. Now let me ask you in closing. When you are in a tight spot, do you pray like that? Do you pray like that? Or do you pray, God, get me out of this thing. Just get me out of this thing. Just, Lord, I just, I'm in this bad situation and it hurts a lot that my, my coworkers don't like me. For Jesus, would you just help them to like me and treat me better? I, think, I, I pray that kind of stuff seems to me that the biblical answer here is, God, you are holy and awesome and majestic. Lord, you're the one who decides things beforehand. You're the one who's in control. You created all things. Lord, whatever this situation I'm in right now, God, use it for your glory. I don't care if that means that I'm going to have to suffer for it. I don't care. I don't care. I just want your glory to run on the, on the world. Do we pray like that? Man, I want to I encourage us. I want to encourage me I want to encourage our our prayer team, and I know they do, to pray dangerous prayers. One of the things um, we're we're going to be leaving here, the overseers of the church here in the next three to four or five weeks on a retreat. One of the things that we were praying for for a long time was, what's next? Lord, what is the next thing? And really felt a very clear leading uh, to move into a free building, which is sometimes an easy leading to get. Yeah, that, that seems to be the will of God, and we really did wrestle with that decision to see if that really was where, where God would have us to go. One of the big things that we wanted to make sure was happening was not that we, when we had come here, was not to say, oh, that's it, great, woo, God would get that over with, now we can just take it easy. I want to pray these kind of prayers as a church and say, Lord, where do you want us to be dangerous for you next? What do you want us to do that is so far out there like having a two to three million dollar building when the net worth of everybody in this room probably isn't two or three million? What do you have for us next that is so going to challenge us, it's so going to move us, that it's going to take every ounce of faith to do it as a church? Are you praying that way individually? individually? Are you praying dangerous prayers? God delights in answering those prayers. Let's pray together. Lord God, no matter what we do or what we say or our jobs or our uh, being graduates of universities and high schools and grad schools, our relationships, our church, everything. Everything pales in comparison to the fact that it is all about you. And I love the way they start this prayer, that they don't start with themselves. They don't start with their own issues. They don't start with the the trouble that they see coming. They start with a good, clear vision of God Almighty. God, would you grant that to us? That's a gift. Would you grant us a clear, good vision of you when times are good, and when times are tough. Would you help us to see you for who you are? The almighty, holy, powerful, and all-good God who delights in answering the prayers of, of, of your people. So God, just move that way amongst us, I pray. I pray, Father, that we'd be people who would pray dangerous prayers on behalf of the kingdom that we would want to see family members and co-workers and fellow students and all across this city, we'd want to see your gospel run to people who need it. God, you'd help us to, to step out and even look foolish if necessary. That's our prayer. We pray that you'd use Hope Community Church and its members and regular attenders in this church to, to be... part of a a group of churches and movements that could help reach this city for Christ. Lord, do whatever it takes. If that's through blessing us materially, that's great. If it's through causing us as a church even to suffer, then that's great too. Whatever it takes to move into the kingdom of darkness and trash it as much as possible, we want, God. Even though our flesh, even saying that, our flesh kind of quivers at that. But at the same time, we want it, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, and do your work in our midst, in our church, and in our city. We pray in Christ's name.